As the bucket passes your row, I want to turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 12. We are finishing up our series today on unshakable faith. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this series. We've had tons of, of great feedback, a lot of people who, who have responded really strongly to what God is doing through this series. I hope that, that it has spoken to you as strongly as it has spoken to many. Um, I'm excited to, to be able to put a bow on this and a cherry on top of it today as we finish with really the, the greatest foundational verses to the series today. We're kind of climaxing with that. If you've been with us, you know, we've uh, looked at this quote from James Bryan Smith and kind of tried to develop this kind of a faith over the past few weeks. It says this, it says, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. If you're a believer in Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you are one in whom Jesus through his spirit dwells, but he doesn't just live in you, he delights in you. What a statement. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. So grateful that I'm part of a kingdom that's not in trouble. So grateful that because of the foundation of the rock of ages of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom I'm part of is not in trouble, and therefore I'm not in trouble, even though life seems so shaky. I don't know about you, what's gone on in your life over the last four weeks, uh, but I've learned very clearly it's dangerous as a preacher to preach about faith. Uh, it's dangerous to preach about building an unshakable faith because I've had so many things come into my life and my family that could shake my faith really just over the last four weeks. Over the last four weeks, we've had massive plumbing issues. Uh, we have had... Um, Man, what else is going wrong? We, our air conditioner went out. Uh, that was a, a little over $8,000. Uh, so, so our emergency fund is, is taking over $9,000 in a hit just in two major projects. Uh, yesterday, we had uh, a blockage in our sewer uh, and had sewage bubbling up in our backyard. Uh, late last night, in fact, uh, and by God's grace uh, and literally by praying, uh, God gave us wisdom and favor and we figured out what was wrong because I am ignorant. Uh, and so uh, I, I, the first thing I did is I called my dad, uh, and he had some wisdom for me. Uh, and then I was able to connect some dots and figure some other things out based on something he said. And then Melody had the final solution on, on us fixing this. And so uh, that's three people who don't know anything uh, about sewage. Uh, who we, we put our three ignorant minds together, and by the grace of God, we got the problem fixed. We got the, the stoppage opened up. Uh, and so I just say that to say, I don't know about you. I've had a lot of things come that could shake me. I've had, I've had some people say some things, some slander me in the past four weeks, slander our church in the past four weeks. And so if my faith is built in my reputation, if my faith is built on what others think of me, if my faith is built in my emergency fund, my faith would be very shaky right now. And so the question is, where is my faith? Where am I placing my trust? Is it in circumstantial things? Is it in things that, that I think I can control, but really I can't control? Or is it in the one place that it cannot be shaken in the unshakable kingdom of God? I don't know what things have maybe come to shake your faith the past few weeks. What things have come to shake your faith maybe in the next few weeks. Maybe, maybe school got off on a bad foot. 
Uh, Maybe there's been some issues at your job. Maybe there's some strife in your family or your marriage or your parenting. But if our faith is in anything less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, it's going to shake. It's just the reality. And so we're learning in this series to put our faith the only place it's worth it. The only place that can truly hold our faith and protect our faith in the rock of Jesus Christ. So journey with me to Hebrews chapter 12 one more time. We're going to finish this up today with the final 16 verses of this passage. If you're just joining us, we've been reading through Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12, verse by verse. And so today we're going to finish up uh, with Hebrews 12, starting at verse 14. It says this, it says, make every effort. Everybody say, make every effort. Every effort, that means that this isn't just something that we kind of, oh, if you can get around to it. Man, when you, when you, get, when you got some time, uh, this, is, this is a priority. Make every effort to do what? To live with peace, in peace with everyone, and to be holy. Why? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's the thing about bitterness. When we allow bitterness to to, to take root, whether it's against another person, whether it's against uh, a a ministry, whether it's against something that happened in our childhood, whether it's against something that's going on in our marriage or a previous marriage, when we let bitterness rise up, when we let it grow, it says there's a root of bitterness that you cannot let it grow up. Because if it grows, it's going to take hold. What's it going to do? It's going to cause trouble. Anybody heard some trouble caused by some bitterness? You said some things. You gossiped about somebody. You, 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 you allowed that thing just to take up your time and your attention. Right? It's often said that, that unforgiveness is, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. It just doesn't work that way, right? When we feed that bitterness, it hurts us. So here's what I want you to write down first of all today as we journey through this passage. Teresa's taking notes. Praise God. Uh, I can't let bitterness shake my faith. I can't. I can't let bitterness shake my faith because it wants to and it will. You ever seen a, a, a parking lot that had some weeds growing up through the cracks? You know what happened? Those cracks started to expand started to destroy that parking lot. That's the picture of the foundation of your faith, that the enemy wants to get in there into some little bitty crack and just grow some little bitty weed. It's not a big deal. It just makes me feel better. I just, I just got to vent. I just got to say how I feel. And, and it doesn't seem like a big deal, but what we're doing is we're letting that root expand, and it's making that crack bigger. It's making that hole bigger. And before we know it, our foundation in faith has been destroyed. I can't let bitterness shake my faith. Write this down. I can't let your bitterness shake my faith. I can't let my bitterness shake my faith, but I can't let your bitterness shake my faith either. Here's what the enemy likes to do. He likes to take your offense and mess me up with your offense. (laughs) He likes us to adopt each other's offenses. And so, man, we start running our mouth, we start talking, we start gossiping, we start sitting, venting, airing, prayer request, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I just got got this situation with so-and-so, and and they did this, and and before you know it, I've passed my offense off to you, and now you're mad at that person, you don't even know the whole story, you don't even know what went down, and 
So bitterness is contagious. What happens with weeds? They sow seeds. One weed turns into a collection of weeds, and it happens fast. Right? And so I can't let bitterness shake my faith, but I can't let your bitterness shake my faith either. I got to protect my heart. I got to protect my ear gate. I got to be careful about what I'm letting in. Go ahead and throw that last verse back up there for us. Look at what it says in verse 15. It says, see to it that no one, everybody said, that's me. That no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. One bitter root defiles many. Doesn't just defile one, doesn't just hurt one person, doesn't just hurt one family. But the enemy's design is to take one issue, one offense, one problem and hurt a whole lot of people with it. The author of Hebrews, if you're not familiar, he's writing to people right now who are debating if they're leaving the faith or not. It's this group of priests who came to Jesus, who, who gave their life to Christ, and then trouble started to hit. Stuff started to shake. Persecution started to come. People started to push back and say, no, why would you betray the way you were raised? Why would you turn your back on the faith you grew up in? You're a Jew. You're a priest. How could you believe in Jesus? He's not the Messiah. So now they got one foot in the faith and one foot out. And the bitterness of those outside threatens to destroy the foundation of those who have given their life to Jesus. And they got to make a choice. Am I going to keep listening to this? Am I going to keep letting this into my ears and into my heart? Or am I going to cut this off? I'm going to say, no, I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what is popular. I don't care what you think is right. I know for myself who Jesus is. And I know for myself what he's called me to. And I'm not turning back. I am fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of my faith. And I'm going to hold tight to that no matter what goes on around me. See, I can't let bitterness shake my faith, and I can't let your bitterness shake my faith. And I put that in first person, so hopefully you can preach that to yourself this week. Because the chances are there's going to be an opportunity for somebody else's bitterness to affect you. There's going to be the opportunity for somebody else's offense to, to taint the way you look at a brother or sister in Christ, to taint the way that you look at your situation, to taint the way that you look at your, at your marriage or your family or whatever it may be. The enemy is going to try to take somebody else's root and implant it in your garden. And you got to protect against that. Hebrews 12, moving forward to verse 16, it says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Remember chapter 11, we see this hall of faith, these famous men and women who did things right. Some of them, it went really well for them. God blessed them and prospered them and miracles happened. Some of them, it didn't seem to go so well. They were martyred. They were persecuted. They were hurt. They were beaten. But we saw all these men and women who God commends for their faith in Hebrews. Now we're going to find a negative example. So don't be godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son, if you're not familiar with the story, Esau was the oldest twin. Jacob was the younger twin. And Esau sold his inheritance to his brother. He went off to hunt, and he came back from hunting, and he was hangry. <laughs> and the enemy, through Jacob, was waiting for him 
to trip him up. You know, the enemy's timely. He knows when you're weak. He knows when you're low. I've heard this acronym called HALT, that you don't make any big decision. You don't do any major life-altering conversation when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. HALT. If you're in any of those categories, you're going to make bad choices. Well, sadly, Esau didn't have that acronym. He also didn't speak English, so it wouldn't have worked for him. Uh, but, but he came home hungry, and he made a really bad decision. He traded his inheritance, his birthright. That inheritance meant that he was entitled to a double portion of dad's fortune, and daddy was rich. That he was entitled to twice as much as his brother was, but he exchanged it for a bowl of beans. Now, we do a chili cook-off at Fall Festival, and y'all make some fire chili. I don't know that Jacob even had those chili skills. But, but whatever it was, he was hungry enough, he changed, exchanged his inheritance, not just the inheritance, not just the financial prosperity of it, but the significance, the symbolism that this was dad's and it's been passed on to me. It was his right, and he traded it for a single meal. The Bible calls that godless. When we allow our flesh to cause us to trade something God has provided for us, God has guaranteed for us, God has given us, and we exchange it for a momentary fleeting pleasure. And we do that all the time in our culture, where we trade God's best for something far less. It's called godless. Verse 17, it says, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Here's what I want you to know about the story of Esau. Esau wept over what he had lost, not over what he had done. Let me unpack the difference for you for just a moment. It calls Esau godless. The reality is just like Pastor Noah talked about, all of us have wandered at some point in time. And God is pulling on us and inviting us back to repentance, inviting us back to a place where we can be restored to relationship with him. And he is a God of second chances. Aren't you so glad? He's a God of 50 second chances. I am living proof. Man, he is patient and he is kind and he is gracious. So why was Esau rejected when he wept over what had happened? He was rejected because he didn't weep over what he did. He didn't weep over his sin. He didn't weep over his mistakes. He simply wept over the consequences. See, repentance is being broken over breaking God's confidence, over breaking God's law, over what we have done that we've denied him. We've lived in such a way that does not honor him. That's repentance. Repentance isn't, oh, man, I got caught. I wish I didn't do this because, man, look at all what it brought into my life. Esau was upset about what it brought into his life, but he wasn't upset about the root that he had denied who God was in his life. And so he didn't find forgiveness. He didn't find redemption. He didn't find restoration. So when next time that your life goes sideways and you come back to Jesus, you better really come back to Jesus, not back to, hey, man, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. I wish I didn't bring this pain into my life. I wish I didn't bring this, this problem into my life. That's not repentance. Repentance is, God, I've dishonored you. I've disobeyed you. I've wandered from your call on my life. And yes, it's brought destruction. And yes, it's brought pain. But I'm not weeping over the pain, God. I'm weeping over what I've done to our relationship. I'm weeping over the way that I've denied you and defiled you. God, forgive me. 
Praise Jesus, he will. He does. He's a God of forgiveness, but do not weep over what you've lost. Weep over what you have done. Verse 18 continues on. It says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches that mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fire. So we get another compare and contrast. The author of Hebrews is so big on comparing and contrasting. Pointing to the Old Testament, pointing to the Old Covenant that these Hebrews, these priests would be very familiar with. They've memorized these scriptures. They've taught these scriptures. They've lived these scriptures. So he points back to the old and shows us how it's so far inferior to the new. So he says, we're not coming to this mountain. What mountain is he talking about? He's talking about Mount Sinai. He's talking about the mountain that Moses went off to receive the law. Very significant to the Jews. Massively important story to them. He says, this is not the mountain that we come to. We come to a different mountain. Now he's going to show us. It says, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. In other words, he's the one who stands between God and us. He's the mediator. He's the one who goes in between. And then it says, and to be sprinkled to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Again, he refers back to the previous chapter. Remember, there's no chapter divisions in the original document here. We, we have chapter divisions to make it easier for us to find things, but there's no break between Hebrews 11 and 12. So in Hebrews 11, he tells us, man, talking about the hall of faith, he says that, that Abel's blood still speaks today. We talked about this in a giving talk, right? That, that because of Abel bringing this great offering that thousands of years later, he still inspires us to give. Thousands of years later, he's still honored. Thousands of years later, we get to, to celebrate what he's done and learn from what he's done, even though it didn't end well on this earth for Abel. But now he says, look, Abel's blood might speak something cool. It might be a good message in Abel's blood, but understand the blood of Jesus speaks a far better word. Abel's blood can't save you. Abel's blood can help you be blessed. Abel's blood can help you honor God. It can help you learn a valuable lesson. But there's no supernatural power in Abel's blood, but there is some supernatural power. In the blood of Jesus, not just some. There is unlimited supernatural power in the blood of Jesus. So again, he compares and contrasts. He said, here's Abel's blood, speaks a good word. Here's Jesus' blood, speaks a better word. Jesus is better. He's the mediator between us and God. Verse 25, he continues on. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Who speaks? Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Did you know you can refuse him? You know that you have the ability, you have the choice, you have the will to turn a deaf ear to the voice of Jesus. To the voice of the creator. To the voice of the savior. Every single one of us has done this. 
Every single one of us has heard the voice of God, heard him tell us, don't go there. Don't mess with that. Has heard him woo us and invite us in. Here's a plan I have for you. Here's a purpose I have for you. I want you to speak encouragement to this person. I want you to forgive this person. I want you to tell this person about me. And every single one of us has turned a deaf ear to Jesus at some point in time. The author of Hebrews says, stop it. Do not refuse him who speaks. Then he says this. He says, if they did not escape when they refused him who wanted them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. Everybody say shook. There was a time where Jesus' voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. What do we take out of this series? What do we do as we finish up our study of Hebrews 11 and 12? How do we hold on to this? Well, we need to know this, and we need to carry this out of here, that Jesus is a stuff shaker. He's a stuff shaker. He'll get in your grill, and he'll shake your stuff, okay? And so often we... we look at stuff falling apart in life and we think it's the enemy or we think it's our fault. And sometimes those things are very, very true. But sometimes Jesus is just going to start shaking stuff. He's going to find out, what are you really holding on to? Not because he doesn't know, because he already knows. But he wants you to know. Sometimes he's going to shake stuff so that you can realize you're holding on to stuff that's shakable. That your faith has been placed in something less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. That your faith has been fa- placed in people. That your faith has been placed in reputation. That your faith has been placed in your health. In your ability to produce something. In your ability to do something. And when that's taken away, what remains? He's going to shake some things. There's some shaking going on in our house, in our family. There have been some challenges that have come. Man, this year, I don't think I've ever seen a year where more stuff has shaken in my life. It just seems we're going from one shaking to another. And I know that's not all God. I know some of it is the enemy. And I know some of it is just life. It's this broken world and it's people. But maybe some of it is Jesus trying to get my attention. Maybe some of it is Jesus trying to wake me up to some things. See, the first thing I did yesterday when we started having sewage bubble up in our backyard is I picked up my phone and I called my dad. And I wonder sometimes if things don't start shaking in our life because it's been a little while since we've called dad. See, if we allow our relationship with God to be we just go to him when there's problems, then we're inviting him to let some problems into our life. If we reduce him to a cosmic genie that we just go to when we don't know where else to turn, when we go to him as a last resort, what are we doing? We're telling him, God, you have to shake some stuff in my life so I'll come back to you. But if we'll cling to him, if we'll run to him first, if we'll prioritize him first, then we're not going to have to run to him when things start to shake because our foundation is already established. 
So Jesus is a stuff shaker. He's not trying to bring bad things into your life. He's not trying to bring destruction into your life. He's trying to distill your faith down to the place where only that which is, cannot be shaken can remain. There's another illustration in Scripture. It's the illustration of the refiner's fire. The silver or gold, these precious metals, they would be brought and they would be lit, put over a fire until they, went, they were liquefied. And once they were liquefied, the other minerals that were in the silver or the gold would, would rise to the top. And then the refiner would take a cup and he'd remove those impurities. He'd remove those things that were not part of the silver or the gold so that only that which was supposed to be there would remain. And as the story goes, what the refiner would do, and I've never refined gold or silver, so I can't verify this, but I like this story, so I'm going to tell it to you. As the story goes, the refiner would wait until he could see his reflection in the metal. And that's when he knew it had been purified. That's when he knew all the other stuff had been removed. There was nothing else there that didn't belong. Only that which looked like the refiner remained. That's the picture of what Jesus is doing. He's shaking some stuff. He's refining some stuff. He's a consuming fire who is burning some stuff away from us that doesn't need to be in us. And don't you dare fool yourself. There's some stuff still in you that don't belong. There's some stuff still in us that isn't supposed to be there. It's a process called sanctification. It starts at salvation. It does not end at salvation. We come to Jesus broken and struggling and empty, and he restores us, and he loves us, and he accepts us exactly the way we are. But he loves us too much to leave us like that. And so he's going to shake stuff out that doesn't belong. He's going to burn stuff off that doesn't belong until his reflection is all that we see. Why? Because you were created in the image of God. That's the reflection of God. And what's he doing? He's just restoring you back to your original design. Our brokenness has brought a lot of, brought a lot of stuff into us that doesn't look like Jesus. And he says, man, I'm bringing you back to where you belong. I'm putting you back to the place that I designed and created for you to be. So Jesus is a stuff shaker. That means if you love Jesus, if you're a Jesus person, if you've given your life to Jesus, you better be ready for some shaking. A whole lot of shaking going on, right? You better be ready. Don't be surprised. Don't be thrown. Don't freak out. Don't panic. We, we, we so often create this misperception of faith of following Jesus that, man, if we follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. And it will. In the end, with a process between here and there where there's going to be some pain, there's going to be some struggle, there's going to be some stuff that we've got to surrender, some stuff that we've got to submit, some stuff that we've got to deal with, and none of those things sound like fun. None of those things are, man, praise Jesus, this is what I signed up for. But the reality is it is what you signed up for. You may not have known it. It may not have been spilled out to you. It might have been in the fine print. But it's the reality, man. When we chose Jesus as Lord, that means we chose all that he has for us. We've given him permission to speak into our life, to shake our life, to put us on the refiner's fire and take stuff out of us that doesn't belong. We've authorized him for those things. So we can't get angry when he does what he promised to do to bring us along this process. Almost there. we got two verses left. Therefore, since we are receiving 
a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Jesus is coming, and he's shaking all this stuff. Right? Jesus is coming and says his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. He's shaking stuff. But he's not shaking his kingdom. He's just shaking the stuff out of his kingdom that doesn't belong in his kingdom that doesn't look like him. So since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Next time shaking comes into your marriage, next time some shaking comes into your workplace, to your finances, to your family, to your parenting, to your relationships, instead of panicking, instead of getting mad at God, what if we received it with thanksgiving? God, I know you got something for me in this, and I may not enjoy it, and I may not see it right now, but God, I know this is not the end of the story. You are not done, and you're bringing me to a better place, so I'm just going to lean into what you're doing in my life in this season right now. Because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I don't know about you, but sometimes I lose the awe factor of God. Sometimes I get too familiar, right? I talk about God all the time. It's, what I, it's my job, right? I'm, I'm talking to people. I'm praying for people. It's just what I do. And if I'm not careful, I don't take that step back and look at who he really is and stand in awe of the one whose voice shakes heaven and earth. And so sometimes some stuff has to remind me that he's not just my buddy. He's not just my friend. He's not just my homeboy. He is the author and the creator. He is the one who sits on the throne. He is the one who deserves all glory, all honor, all praise over and over and over and over again. So next time stuff starts to shake, this is the response he's looking for, that we would worship him with reverence and in awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. Does he bring blessing? Absolutely. Does he do miracles? Yes. Is he loving and gracious and kind? Yes. This is not invalidating or canceling any of those things. All of those things are true. It's just the other side of the coin. That when you receive his love and you receive his grace and you receive his goodness, you're also receiving him for all that he is. And make no mistake, he is a consuming fire. He is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. He is set apart. And he is calling his people and preparing a people for himself who look like him. And so that's going to be us or it's not going to be us. That choice is not God's. He's already made the choice. He wants us. The choice is us. Are we going to cooperate? Are we going to receive the shaking? Are we going to embrace the fire that he wants to consume the stuff that doesn't look like us? Or are we just going to keep on going through our little motions? Are we going to keep on playing church? Are, are we going to keep on just, just, man, doing this little Christian performance act, or are we really going to give him our hearts? Are we really going to offer our heart to him? Are we really saying, God, if there's anything here that's not you, shake it. If there's anything here that's not you, consume it. Because if we'll offer it to him, I promise the shaking is going to be a whole lot more comfortable than if he got to come looking for it himself. If we'll cooperate, man, it's so much simpler. It's so much easier. A couple more things for you to write down before we're done. First of all, write this. Anything rooted in the kingdom cannot be shaken. He's going to shake a lot of stuff. 
But if it's rooted in the kingdom, it's not going anywhere. Are your finances rooted in the kingdom? Are they submitted to him? If they are, even when financial attack comes, there's a foundation there. Is your marriage rooted in the kingdom? Is it rooted in Jesus Christ? If it is, even when shaking comes, there's a foundation that's going to hold. Is, are, are, have you submitted your parenting to Jesus Christ? Have you offered your kids to him? I mean, truly, like if you yielded to his lordship where he says, I want you to deal with this, deal with it. Or he says, I want you to leave it alone. You leave it alone. Or even if he says, I want you to, to send them on this mission trip. I want you to give them the opportunity to go do this. And you're like, no, man, that's dangerous. And we hold on to them. See, because if it's rooted in the kingdom, it cannot be shaken. But understand this, only what is rooted in the kingdom cannot be shaken. Anything rooted in the kingdom cannot be shaken, but only that which is rooted in the kingdom cannot be shaken. If it's rooted anywhere else, I mean, if it's rooted in my family history, if it's rooted in, in my personality, if it's rooted in this is just the way that I like to do things, if it's rooted in, man, this is my political party of choice, this is my identity of choice, if it's rooted in anything but the kingdom, there's an invitation for it to shake, and God's word says Jesus is going to speak and stuff's going to start shaking. What's that mean? It means I got to look at every aspect of my life and find out where it's really rooted. Is my career rooted in the kingdom? Why do I work? Do I work just to take care of my family? Or do I work because I serve a God who's created me to be productive, who's created me with an ability to, to produce something, and I'm going to bring him glory wherever I go and however I do it? Because if, if my career is rooted in something else, is, is my career rooted in this is what I enjoy? Is my career rooted in, man, this is where I get notoriety, acceptance? This is where I get affirmation? If my career is rooted in anything of him, it can shake. And you can apply that to any aspect of life, right? To your hobbies, to your relationships, to, to whatever it is. Where is it rooted? I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who's like, Jesus is coming back next week, and it's about to end, and we're going to put a date on it. Um, I, I try not to make a fool of myself, and I try not to make a fool of the kingdom of God. So, so I'm not going to get up here and ever say, here's when Jesus is coming back, because we, we don't know. I don't know. I do know this. The closer it comes, the more it's going to shake. I know we're 2,000 years closer than we were when this book was written. 2,000 years closer when, when these Hebrews were inspired by this author to say, don't run away. Man, don't, don't cash in what Jesus has done for you. We're that much closer than we were. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know when this thing ends. I don't know when my last breath comes, whether it's because Jesus came back or any other earthly reason. But I truly believe the closer we get to those things, the more stuff starts to shake. Why? Because Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. He's coming back for a church who looks like him. And the only way we're going to look like him is if we allow him to shake stuff off that doesn't. So the question is, church, will you embrace the shake? Will you root your faith in that which cannot be shaken? 
in the eternal, everlasting, victorious kingdom of God? Or will you root your faith in all the practical, normal, natural things that, that everybody else roots their faith? receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our God is a consuming fire. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not in trouble and praise Jesus when I am rooted in his kingdom, when my faith is built in his kingdom, when it is planted where it needs to be, I am not in trouble. No matter what it looks like, in my bank account, no matter what it looks like in the culture, no matter what it seems like everybody else is chasing after, or what happens in an election, or an economy, or a 401k, when I am rooted in the kingdom of God, I am not in trouble. Would you stand with me as we close this out?